You're listening to audio from Gospel Collective Church. If you'd like to check out additional resources or learn more about us, please visit gcclex.com. Good morning and welcome. Uh, thank you, Scott, for helping lead us with worship, along with the other band members. Really appreciate it. If you have your Bibles, open them up to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, as you're flipping there. I uh, wanted to quickly introduce myself in case I haven't met you. My name is Eric Colser. I serve as a pastor here at Gospel Collective Church. Um, and if you are brand new, first time visiting, and we weren't able to get your information when walking in, just want to direct you to these welcome cards right here. Uh, should be in seats right in front of you. If there's none available, uh, they're on the black tabletops by each one of the exit doors. And love for you just fill out the top three, name, phone, email. Um, and uh, we'd love to just get a hold of you, see if you have any questions about our church. Um, get to know you a little bit more, uh, treat you for coffee or something of the sort. And so, again, you can fill this out, hand that to me, or uh, drop it off in the uh, uh, black boxes, the offering boxes, uh, right by those doors on the tabletops. Um, and we also use these for uh, just uh, regular attenders, members, uh, whether something stuck out in the sermon, if you're interested in serving or going to a community group, want more information about those areas, uh, taking next steps in obedience of baptism, again, you can fill that out, uh, drop that off, along with any prayer requests that you may have as our church staff will do will pray for you um, on Monday morning. Uh, so again, glad that you're here with us in worship. Um, Philippians chapter 3 is we're going through the book of Philippians. We're going to be reading the entire chapter and we'll be going through it verse by verse. However, don't worry, we will stay within our time frame as well, but a lot of good stuff within here. So read with me Philippians chapter 3 starting off with verse 1. God's word says this, finally, my brothers, Rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who's, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has a reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. If in, if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have obtained. Brothers, join in imitating me. 
and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory is in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject or submit all things to himself. Paul begins this chapter reminding the church of Philippi, but not just the church of Philippi, us, a couple different things. First, he reminds us where our joy is found. Look as he starts off again, verse 1. He says, finally, my brothers. And before going any further, let me briefly point out how this is the beginning of chapter 3 of a four-chapter book. That means he is only halfway through this letter, and he is saying, finally. So when I say and to conclude, or our last point is, but go another 15, 20 minutes, I'm just being biblical. Okay, proof right here, just imitating Paul as he imitates Christ. Finally, my brothers, he says, rejoice in the Lord. Because he's reminding not only this church, but us where our joy is found. Not only where our joy is found, but as he concludes this verse to write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. He's shown where our safety is found. Then verses two through three. He shows us and reminds us where our truth is found. Look out for the dogs, he says. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. He's saying look out for those who are deceiving you when talking to the church of Philippi and telling them that, the, that circumcision is essential to their salvation. And he uses such harsh words and language saying they're dogs, they're evil. But then verse 3, he explains truth. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Reminds us where truth is found. And in that truth, as he says in the end of verse 3, where our confidence is found. And he explains this in verses 4 through 6. Though I myself have a reason for confidence in the flesh. As he had mentioned, these people who are deceiving and tricking and saying, maybe being deceived themselves and saying that, hey, outside of Christ alone, you can be able to, or you need extra things, extra works, these things to obtain that salvation. He said, if anybody's going to believe that in these works of the flesh, it's I. Why? Look at verse 4. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has a reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day, been there, done that, of the people of Israel, God's chosen people, the apple of his eye, but also of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, I was a Pharisee, taking strict adherence to it. As to zeal, as to passion, you cannot get more passionate than this, a persecutor of the church, killing people who goes against this. As to righteousness under the law, blameless, at least in the sight of others. And at the same time, he is saying all this to share meant nothing. 
It's not where my confidence can be found. Although it looks like he could easily find confidence in those above things, he does not find it there because his confidence is found in Christ. And then verse 7 shares where our priorities are found. Knowing just like them, we can get off track very easily spiritually. And if we don't know where to find joy, safety, truth, and confidence, he wants us to stay focused and clear about our life when it comes to where our priorities are found. Verse 7, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. It says that the things that looked like gain, even the spiritual religious things that he had mentioned, he counted as loss for Christ as they were dependent on his works. Paul begins by teaching us a very important lesson here, that not everything that the world defines as important, that maybe your boss defines as important, or that your professor defines as important, that the world defines, or maybe you even deceivingly so, find as important? Well, it's not what we've always thought as important that may be really important. That if we're going to seek the Lord's will, we're going to seek out what is most important in this crazy, fast-paced, fallen life, we have to stay focused on what really matters. And that it is not always as it seems. That when we lose track of what really matters in light of what everyone else is screaming at us, we can't make clear decisions or seek his will because what matters the most in life when we talk about priorities is Jesus. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Matt Chandler, in his book, To Live as Christ, To Die is Gain, said this, if you clean up your life, and manage to somehow never struggle ever again, but you never get Jesus, you're still totally lost. You've actually attained a whole lot of nothing. That in the end, if you look great, you sound great, you even act great, but you don't know Jesus, it doesn't matter. That not only we need to know where our priorities are found, but as he explains that more, look at verses 8 through 11. He shows us how we're to stay then focused on the goal, with the priority being Christ. Verse 8. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ that may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Here he is stating where our priority is Christ, the goal, and the gospel here. You know, reading this, at least to me, brings many great questions. I'm sure many of you as Christ followers, as professing Christians, you may have them as well. If we're trying to stay focused on what matters, what is important, even over what is the urgent in our life, 
then what is most important? Because it's critical that we can answer that question. Otherwise, we'll never be fulfilled in this life or we'll never feel like we're doing what God created and sent us to do. There will always be more to do than what we can get done. We always have to battle and, and, and try to balance with this tension of are we trying to accomplish what is most important? What's the goal? You must determine that goal and then aim for it. Remember, a goal is the object of a person's ambition or effort, an aim or desired result. And so I ask, what is your desired result that will motivate you in life? What is the goal? And when I say goal, I understand different people have many different goals in life, some even completely pointless goals. I've brought this to uh, different people's attention before about a decade ago when studying this passage and thinking about goals and what our goals should be. I came across a man by the name of Gary Duschel. Um, whose goal in life is to create the world's largest gum wrapper chain. And from this goal, every year, he dedicates almost all of his time and effort to continue breaking his own record. Okay? I'm talking about this world record, Guinness, Guinness record, of a gum wrapper chain. It's as long as 211 football fields. In an interview with him over a decade ago, he said that he puts this goal of keeping this record over love, friendships, and work. He said this goal beats out everything. So not only is it bad enough that his last name's Duschel, but this guy puts all these things to the side so that he can have the world record of gum wrapper chains. I don't need to tell you this, but that's not a great goal. To sacrifice work, people, relationships, and love for a world record of gum wrappers. And we know that there are people out there who also do not have maybe great goals. And they'll never find fulfillment because their goals in life won't allow it. And maybe some of you may feel convicted by that. We must have the right type of goal in life. And I'd say most people, not all, but most, don't even have goals in the first place. But as Christians, God has given us our goal. And out of that goal, we'll offshoot many different goals, but that goes into this main goal. And Paul, I feel like, answers that for us in these verses. Just reading little parts of verses 8 through 11. Let me remind you what he says. I count all things, verse 8, count all things to be lost in view of their surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. At the end of verse 9, he says that I will be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, but this faith, this saving faith in Christ Verse 10, he says that I may know him. He says that three times now. The power of his resurrection. That I'll even share in his sufferings. And in verse 11, he says, By any means necessary. 
that I will finish well and be ready in the resurrection by any means necessary. Church, you read these verses and you can't but help to know that the goal that we're to stay focused on, that we're to prioritize living lives as Christ followers is knowing Jesus, bringing him glory, believing, first believing and receiving that gospel message and depending on it and to live in obedience of his commands from the great commandment and the great commission. That's our goal. And when that is our goal, things seem to clarify when we remember that it is our goal. And we'll be able to, knowing that goal, stay focused on it at work, at home, in parenting, in friendships, in community. And it changes everything. Paul tells the church at Philippi and to us, stay focused on what matters, what's most important. Stay focused on this goal. And then verses 12 through 14, he says, and stay focused on the future. Look at verse 12. Did that baby just say, yeah, amen? Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. I love that verse right there. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I press on toward that goal because there's a prize ahead. He is staying focused on the future. Remember, this is... The guy, Apostle Paul, that most of us see as a hero. I mean, that's championed in, in church planting movements, the ultimate church planner. And he says here in verse 12 that he doesn't have all of this figured out yet, which I hope brings great relief to all of us, right? I mean, Apostle Paul does it. We can feel a bit of a burden lifted, like we don't have to have everything figured it out. Not that I've already obtained this or that I'm already perfect. But he says, just like you and I, we should aim for and work diligently toward something. That we press on to make it our own. Why? Because look at the end of verse 12. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. It's not your life anymore. It's not your goals. It's Christ's. He owns you. Your life is now his. And we are grateful about that. And we look toward the future with that. As he says in verse 13, I don't consider that I made it my own, but one thing I do, look at what he says right there, forgetting what lies behind. That means in order for us to think and start moving forward with what's most important in the goal, we cannot let our past failures Hold us back. Listen, Satan loves to whisper in your ear that you cannot do this. He loves to make you think that you cannot get certain things in the past. You've tried before and failed. What makes you think it's going to be different this time? 
You'll never be able to figure this out. And we all know, we all know how hard it is to forget the past. I mean, try telling that to anyone who's been canceled, per se. Try telling that to the Warriors, the reigning NBA champs, Draymond Green and Jordan Poole, after his sucker punch went viral. And then ESPN had headline article on it on Thursday night saying when this player is rejoining this team after sucker punching his teammate, on the headline he says, quote unquote, we need to move forward and not hold on to the past. Trust me, that's going to be much easier said than done. Try telling that to the 2015 UK basketball team after that Wisconsin loss that so many of you guys are still holding on to, okay? I've lived in this culture and city long enough. I know what that brings up, and you're, you're holding on. Try saying that to the Tennessee football team when they lose to the Wildcats in a few weeks here, okay? I, I see a Tennessee hat right there shaking his head right now, and so uh, I understand. We'll see. Some people even like to stay in the past, therefore never growing or moving past certain temptations and trials. But we are to forget what lies behind. And it's important when I say that, please listen up here. Know this. It's important to know that when he shares this and when I preach this, this is not to say that you will per se, forget every hard time or thing that you have been through. Whether it's sin done against you or sin even that you participated in. But I've learned in biblical counsel how unhealthy, even with good motives, but how unhealthy and wrong it is to sell someone that has been through the worst trauma, whether it be abuse or something of the sort like that, that they are to just forget about it. And when they can't, they don't feel like they're a good enough Christian or that Jesus really didn't pay for those sins and ask what's wrong. And if that is you, know that Jesus did die, forgive such things. And it is also why the Apostle Paul here says, strain forward to what lies ahead. Because although you may not completely forget, we are given this charge, this encouragement to forget what lies behind, knowing that if we dwell on the past, we'll never be able to see the hope in the future. And there is hope. There is. The resurrection is hope. And you live in that hope. And it's why he says here, we strain forward to what lies ahead. That yes, it's a stretch. Yes, it's not easy. As we already know that life will always have tension in these areas, demanding our time and struggles. But as he says here, we push through. We persevere. We Two weeks ago when I referenced this passage in upcoming weeks, I had said, when talking about sanctification, it's part of the sanctification process. We forget what lies ahead. I'm sorry, we forget what lies behind and we strain forward to what lies ahead and he says there is a prize that we receive that as he says specifically in these verses mentions an upward call of God and Christ Jesus that you have purpose in this call 
we remember how much it is worth it to strain forward. That part of forgetting the past and living for the future is doing that by living to advance his kingdom through the gospel because he has called us, as he says in verse 14, to it. And then verse 14 we are to press on toward that goal for the prize, that upward call of God and Jesus Christ. And he shares in verse 14 how it helps when we can visualize that prize. We know he has called us to this. And in order to be able to do all these things, look at verse 15. We need to be mature in the spirit to think this way. Again, some of you this hasn't been the case because maybe you haven't been growing in maturity in the spirit. Verse 15, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. It's hard to forget what's behind and press forward to what lies ahead if we are not mature to persevere and as a gift, it says here, and if that is the case, God can reveal, will reveal this to you. He'll show you maybe how you have that hard time forgetting what's behind and instead forget the glorious future he has for you. And out of his grace, out of a gift, out of his love, he may convict you, he may speak to you and share that this is part of being a Christian. And as verse 16 says, hold true to what we have attained. Hold true to Jesus Christ. That even at the times you feel like I cannot persevere any longer, it doesn't make Jesus any less true or your salvation any less secure. Stay true, as verse 16 says, to what God has given you. It doesn't mean you will be perfect. And you won't always feel like you'll be able to endure. That's why we need to stay true to him in the first place what he has given and what we obtain. And you can't stay true to something that you've never attained in the first place, revealing that all of this once again doesn't matter unless you find what Paul found in these first six verses, joy, safety, truth, confidence. What's most important is found in Jesus Christ. It helps me visualize that for the future. I press on toward that goal for the prize of upward call of God in Christ Jesus but those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you. He will. He'll help you realize that to take those steps. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. And then verse 17, we're to imitate those who are examples of Christ's perseverance in us. We're to imitate those who are examples of Christ. We've heard this before. It was mentioned like three times in 1 Corinthians it's mentioned here again, verse 17, Brothers, join in imitating me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Whenever we get to scripture like this, like I've always said, I'm hesitant in telling people to imitate another person, whether it be myself or another, because I just know that as we're to do that, but just I know there's also a lot of people that profess to be Christians that, I mean, that I would say you shouldn't imitate that scares me even about myself. But it is repeated in Scripture. 
And in this specific context, when it comes to suffering, when it comes to those who have persevered and endured such trials, and I can't but help to think in this context of those Christians that have persevered through trials, you want to see the power of Jesus? Look at the lives of those who have not only gone before us, but those who are even in this room that are part of our church, a part of the church as a whole, who by all logical reasons should have given up, should have lost all hope in their biggest pain and suffering in their life, and came out saying, God is still good. He is still sovereign and in control. He is still loving. He is still good. He is still true. And I will be faithful to him. I trust him still. And you will see how he will use not only those testimonies, but the imitation of those people as they imitate Christ. What Jesus did in his suffering. Again, this isn't a one and done passage. It's littered throughout scripture. How God speaks not only about perseverance, but how he uses testimonies and examples for us to be able to see the power of Christ in them to endure. Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. We have a great cloud of witnesses, both Old Testament and here. Let us run with endurance with our eyes fixed on Jesus. Or to imitate those people keeping our eyes on him. Because as we all know, you're going to imitate and follow someone. You are. You're being discipled by someone. Verse 18 through 9. He says, listen to the warnings of these idols, the sinful world. And what he specifically mentions here, enemies of the gospel. I'd even say, after reading the last few verses, asking yourself, am I starting to follow or imitate this? more than those before me. Verse 18, For many of whom I've often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. And then he says this about them. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Paul here says, I warn with tears. I mean, that must mean this is pretty serious stuff here, right? I want to ask you, has anybody ever looked you in the eye and warned you with tears? Like they looked and they were about to share something so hard and personal for them, for you, and tears start coming down. That's what Paul says. Take heed with how important this is. That there are those out there that walk as enemies of everything we love, know, and hope for. And he then describes them. These people who walk as enemies of Jesus and the gospel, the cross, what he did for us on the cross, their end is destruction. 
I mean, this isn't like ultimate consequence of like, oh, this doesn't look good. Like, he uses the word destruction will come out of this. That although it may start little and lightly, it turns and ends in destruction. Their God is their belly, which means this. They worship what brings them pleasure. They're hedonists. He says they glory in their shame. What would bring shame against God is actually glorified and praised amongst them. And he says their mind is set on earthly things. Can't think beyond what is before them on this earth. He says, with tears I warn you. Although being deceived themselves, the deceit that can come. But then he ends in verse 20 through 21. We're to remember that we're the eternal citizens of a kingdom ruled by King Jesus that conquers that sin, conquers that deceit. Verse 20. But our, our, but our citizenship is in heaven. Remember, this is right after verse 19. We're talking about mindset on these earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior from these things. The Lord Jesus Christ. The one who will transform our lowly body. And some... Because that's us, that's some of you that live this way, that some of our friends, family, our co-workers, our classmates is described as enemies of Christ. Can't get any lower than that. But in the hope of the gospel, he can transform that living, that lifestyle, that heart. And then give us, he says, to be like his glorious body by the power of that enables him even to submit and subject all things to himself. Church, we remember, we have a king who's in control over all things. And part of what we are looking and attaining, persevering toward, he's in control of transform our lowly bodies with our lowly problems into a glorious body with all the power to defeat sin and that this kingdom is life is what we have and work toward an eternal kingdom as we're citizens of heaven that we are not persevering or pressing on toward a better life now and ways but a perfect eternal kingdom here and forever and that a glorified perfect body and state will be transformed out of these lowly sinful bodies that we will be eternal heirs with King Jesus again in, in this kind of overall topic of, of suffering that we're enduring with the goal in mind what matters most in mind no I've mentioned this before but I want to mention again we're all going to suffer I mean, there's not many similarities we even read, see in Scripture when it comes to some things of Christians and, and unbelievers. I mean, it's described in the Scriptures, light, darkness, found, lost, uh, goats, or wolves and sheep. 
But one thing we do have in common is that we will all go through horrible, hard seasons in life and we will suffer. We will have times where people close to us will pass, times we would question everything, times we will go through heartbreaks where it feels like our life is over, relationships and friendships that are lost and temptations and struggles with sin. And at times it doesn't even stick with us. It affects all the people around us. And as we all suffer, as we all go through trials, we are given a charge and a better hope and encouragement to be able to persevere through them, church. And that difference is always Jesus. That difference is Jesus. And even what we read this morning, you cannot just get rid of your past and look to the future without Jesus. You can't just press on and persevere as motivating as that is without Jesus. You can't just imitate people who's done a good job in being strong and faithful in their suffering without Jesus. And you certainly can't see the lies from the truth when dealing with enemies of the gospel without Jesus. And as Paul says in this chapter, it is all useless. It's a rubble without him. That we need help, we need save from what ultimately causes suffering, sin, temptations. That we have a savior from this world that's suffering and sin. Not just a way to get past it. He saves us from it. And of course that savior is Jesus. And if there's anyone in here that needs Jesus to give you that new life, make you that new creation, become one of his so you will now live for him. Do you realize you have that lowly sinful body and that because of taking that sin upon himself from the cross that separates you from him, but then rising from the dead, he gives you that same resurrection power, that same hope, that same new life. When you turn, repent of your sin, have saving faith in him as your savior, Again, where that lowly sinful body is replaced for a forgiven, glorious, resurrected body. And a new life here as he now walks with you. As he reveals things to you. As he sanctifies you. And that that same King Jesus who helps us as Christians persevere will be the same King who will show that the things of this earth is worthless. What our true goal is and how we receive it in salvation and attain it as we continually walk with him. We are citizens of an eternal kingdom ruled by King Jesus. And he gives you that power to endure. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you again for your word. And thank you, Lord, as we read this chapter, we see how we can persevere toward that goal of the resurrection that we already have, but that we need reminders of. Reminders of where our joy, our safety, our truth, our confidence are found. Reminders of what our priorities should be and that our goal in the gospel helps us 
to be able to forget what lies behind, to strain forward to what is ahead, to either be or receive those we can imitate as they endured through certain suffering and trials themselves, that we take heed to the warnings of those that are enemies of the gospel, but also while knowing and believing we were enemies ourselves. And we are now citizens. We have great love, compassion, and hope that anyone can receive this and you will use this for us not only to grow, to be sent out, but to share that with others. God, I pray that you use your word as you reveal in what we sing this morning how great you truly are. And you are. Thank you for being that conquering king. That not only we can submit and trust, but we can depend and live in that love. You are a loving, good king. How great you are. We pray this all in your name, Jesus.